Awesome. Good to see you. Good seeing you as well. Excited to do a little podcasting with you. Yeah, uh, you know, I and uh, well, for me, it's a little podcasting. For you, it's a lot more podcasting uh, because you're doing it every single week. Um, yeah, that's how do you guys keep up that schedule? I guess is the hard part. I mean, y'all are y'all stacking them, doing them all at one time? I mean, how are y'all doing that? Yeah. So we. Um, hold on a second, I'm gonna just that. There we go. Um, so we used to do just one day of recording a month. That was right. back when we were all together in the office and life was simple. <laughs> uh, restaurants and bars were open and we would just batch record a bunch. And since March, we shifted for a while, we shifted to just recording every week. And part of that was because the world was changing so fast like what was relevant last month feels inappropriate <laughs> this month type of thing. So yeah. we just said, let's take this one week at a time. And now we're doing uh, about every other week, we'll record a couple of episodes. Uh, so we're a little bit ahead, but usually we do every other week, we'll record two in a row uh, as things have evened out a little bit, but it's still like this over Zoom. So it's a little different. Um, I personally miss the batch days. I'd rather just get kind of in the podcast zone and plow through. Right. But um, this allows us to keep pace with the world and keep pace with, it, it's kind of a different perspective because we can get feedback from listeners on recent episodes and actually incorporate stuff that we hear. So that has its advantages. Right. Right. So are you, coming from the studio you're coming from your home where are you doing everything when you're doing your podcasts and such yeah from right here so i have an office that's adjacent to our co-working space yep. and that's great because it's just we have a, sort of a series of single offices and so right. it's you know still isolated uh, but allows me to separate from home, which is a very good thing for all parties um, in terms of recording. <laughs> yeah. For a while I was recording, you know, in April and in most of May, I was actually at home recording in my closet. And so <laughs> this is this is definitely an upgrade. Yeah, I've, I've toyed with recording in my closet today versus doing it here in the den, but I got the, I just kind of like having some light a little bit more than just staring at my clothes. You know, it's yeah. Like, kind of creepy just staring at your clothes all day long. You know what I yeah. mean? So, <laughs> kind of weird, but uh, yeah, this is, this is a lot of, I mean, and it, it's, I've re really enjoyed doing these. Hopefully you're continuing to enjoy doing mm -hmm. your podcast. It sounds like you and Courtney are having a blast. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun for sure. I enjoy podcasting. How, remind me, you may have mentioned this in one of your emails, but how many, how long have you been doing this? How many episodes in are you? I have been doing this since the beginning of the year. Let's say published. I, I, well, I'll take that back. I, I interviewed my co-host. Well, excuse me. I'm his co-host. Um, you know, truly. I mean, not like you and Courtney are co-hosting. I mean, I'm literally like the, you know, I'm Robin out of Batman, you know, that kind of thing <laughs> and, and barely at that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, the boy wonder barely. Um, so he, 
he basically has been kind enough to share this platform with me, which is just uh, so sweet and nice uh, because he could have said, nah, you know, you do your own thing. But he's really helped me a lot on that side of it because I, I, I enjoy this process of how this works. And so I've been at it for about a year now and well, almost, but I haven't done a lot of episodes. I've done probably eight episodes, which okay. that's, you know, it's part of us been trying to get the time and doing it right. Part of it's been trying to get people to agree to do this. You know, that's the other part um, because I guess they just don't quite. So a lot of people still don't get quite the hang of podcasts. I, I'm still amazed at how many people really don't, you know, get involved in podcasts yet, but it's continuing to grow. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ted McElroy. This podcast is dedicated to helping you find your wins, have a better quality of life, and become the best leader you can be. Hey, have you subscribed to this podcast yet? Don't miss an episode. They're worth every single thing you paid for them, which is nothing because they're free. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. Give us a rating and a review on your specific podcast player. This helps us with our podcast rankings and makes it easier for people to find us. And as always, please support those who help support us. episode 102 of this podcast, Chris interviewed Justin Kwan, Michelle Andrews, and Richard Ruth. They pointed out that as a profession, we have done a great job of letting our patients know that myopia is not a big deal. If you can see 2020, there is no worry. It is the high myopes that are more danger. And as they said, that message is tragic. Any myopia has a higher risk of maculopathy, glaucoma, and earlier cataract development. In the MySight One Day clinical trials, only 4% of study participants who got ProClear One Days stayed stable in their myopia progression over the three-year period. That means you can confidently say, parent, by not going to a system geared to slow the myopia progression, there is a 96% chance your child's vision will get worse. This may take away some of the choice your child has in the future as to how they will correct their vision. Choice not fear of the disease associations with myopia is what best resonates with parents when it comes to myopia control for their children. And with Cooper Vision's MySight One Day, we now have an FDA-approved single-use contact lens to lessen the progression of myopia in our patients. Contact your Cooper Vision representative to find out more about MySight One Day contact lenses. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. This is Ted McElroy, and I am really thrilled today to have as our guest, Blake Stratton, Blake is a business consultant on the sales team with Michael Hyatt and Company. He's uh, formerly been in the music industry in Nash Vegas as a musician, a songwriter, but also was getting the love of doing sales and marketing when he was in that. And um, he also is a co-host of a podcast called Focus on This with his co-host, Courtney Baker. Uh, and I guess I'll start off with this first question. How do you get to be the most productive podcast on the Internet? Because that's, that's a really, yeah, that's a really good question. And I hesitate, I hesitate to give away our secrets here, Ted, uh, but I reluctantly will because, you know, you're uh, a trusted associate 
uh, trusted client and, and friend of the show and of the people of Michael Hyatt and company. You know, our secret was just telling people that it was the case. So that was our big secret. We actually became the most productive podcast on the internet uh, because our genius copywriter said so. And it's incredible the power that that has had. You know, we name it and claim it, you might say, if you've ever heard that phrase. That's what I we have. did. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's uh, kind of one of the things a friend of mine has said, you know, if anything you want to ever be as an expert, all you have to say is I'm an expert and poof, you're an expert. <laughs> Suddenly, it, right, you know, that was wonderful. I got another question too. And what is it up with you guys in Chicago sports? I mean, you put on your bio that you're a big Chicago bears fan. Chad's a huge Cubbies fan. What's the, what's the big draw there in Nashville with Chicago sports? Yeah, I think we just, at some level, just don't like ourselves. And so we like to endure pain. Uh, I think that's the, it's, you know, it's a little masochistic, just getting your hopes up every year and then losing. You know, the Cubbies uh, turned around four years ago. And I remember thinking that 2016 was a wild year. And now I've learned that it, it really was, it was nothing compared to this year. But yeah, yeah, I don't know what it is. We both... We, we grew up from there. You know, in Nashville, where I live, there's a lot of Chicago transplants. And I think it's because they stopped off here one time on their way for their, you know, their week vacation in Florida. And they're like, you know, this is a pretty cool town. Plus, winter is less than eight months long, like it is in Chicago. So maybe we should move here. No state tax helps as well. And so you end up with a lot of Chicago fans uh, who are loud, but sad. And, and that's, you know, if I could characterize myself and Chad, I think you're referencing in a couple of words, it'd be loud and a little bit sad on the inside. Loud and sad. <laughs> what a great tag to have for yourself. <laughs> well, um, to, to get a little bit more insight on you and how you fit in, kind of go through your origin story. How did you end up where you are um, with, I mean, from your humble beginnings to where you are now with Michael Hyatt and company? Mm. Well, it was a windy trail for sure. But I think maybe I would start in terms of how I got in connection with Michael Hyatt and company. I remember I was working for a software company. And it was that even getting there was kind of a windy trail for me. But had been working with a couple of different agencies doing marketing and then myself and uh, my boss, we kind of got out of our agency and just joined this software company to help it just grow as fast as we could grow it. And that was really exciting, really small team. I think we were employees nine and 10 or 10 or 11, something like that, but really fast growth, very exciting, but it was exhausting. I was, overwhelmed on a daily basis and it slowly started to affect every area of my life from my relationships to my health. I would get sick pretty often because I wouldn't sleep very well. I would go to bed feeling stressed and you may know this, but stress is just <laughs> this underrated cause of a million problems in life uh, health-wise. And I would wake up at two or three in the morning. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, Ted. When you wake up 
and your brain is decided that that is the best time to try to solve these problems that you couldn't figure out during your work day. <laughs> and you're like, I literally can't do anything about that now. Just go to sleep brain. But your brain wants to keep you up. And so that would happen essentially every night. It was years. I didn't sleep through the night, wake up tired, do it all over again. And I remember even my wife pulling me aside once and just saying, hey, I feel kind of alone. Like you're, you're home, you're here, but you're not really here. Mentally, you're, you're kind of somewhere else. And that, you know, that's hard to hear. Uh, so I was in that place. I, I felt like I was a really productive person because I was doing a lot of things. I was managing a lot of things. I had some systems and a bunch of digital tools and I read blogs like Michael Hyatt and other things to always try to get new tools or better ways of doing stuff. But I was still stressed, still feeling like I was behind every day, not sure if I was really moving the needle. And a friend of mine, his name's Eric, recommended this planner, this physical planner called the Full Focus Planner. He said, I started using Michael Hyatt's new planner. You should really check it out. And I said, you know, I've got an iPhone, right? I don't, <laughs> why would I need a paper planner? And he said, trust me, just give it a shot for a couple of weeks, see what happens. So I order one, give it a shot. And one morning I wake up and I realize that it's actually morning. <laughs> I realize it's actually morning time and I slept through the night. It was the first time in years I slept through the night. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And I started using the system, started writing things down physically with a pen and paper. And my brain seemed to like that. I, would, I was less overwhelmed. I ended up accomplishing more things, or maybe I wasn't accomplishing more things. It just felt like I was winning. Right. You know, I kind of redefined what the win was, what was most important, started actually hitting some goals. And that eventually led me to ultimately leaving that company and starting my own consulting business. And it was while I was doing that consulting business, I was just a faithful, full focus planner user. I was in a coffee shop and a guy came up to me. He says, hey, what do you think of that planner? And I just, I am beaming dead and I share with him all of this that I just shared with you, how it had helped me, how my, my own consultancy that month had, had grown. And over the course of, of that year, had just grown, you know, month after month, it was improving thanks to this system. And he said, wow, that's really cool. You know, I'm the chief marketing officer at Michael Hyatt and company, and I would love to get that on video. Can you shoot a video testimonial for us? And so that was that was Chad who you referenced right. earlier. And we became friends. He eventually invited me to speak on a panel at one of Michael's conferences just to share about our experience using the full focus system. I was there with a handful of other leaders. And that was the first time I met Michael and got to see him backstage, Ted. And for those listening, maybe you've heard of Michael Hyatt, or maybe you have your own quote-unquote guru or, or person you follow online. And maybe you've wondered, what's that person actually like? What's that person like behind the scenes? I have been fortunate to rub shoulders with a lot of different leaders and personalities. And it's not always the same. I can tell you that. It's not always what you see is what you get. 
so I was interested to meet Michael and I can't tell you, Ted, how bold over impressed I was with him as a person and as a leader. The event I was doing with them was the first time, it was the first of its kind. They had conceived, planned, and executed that event in less than three months, I think. And Michael was cool as a cucumber. All of his team was functioning diligently, and he was totally calm. I didn't see one employee pass him by backstage where he didn't pay them a specific, direct, thoughtful compliment or encouragement about what they were doing. I ended up getting lunch that day with these five women. One was the COO of Michael Hyatt and Company, Megan, but the others were his other daughters. And, you know, they had come not because they had to be there, but because they loved dad, loved being around and, and supporting his events. And I saw him go off to the side. I was kind of eavesdropping. Maybe it was a little creepy, but he went over to his wife, Gail. They've been married over 40 years. And I saw him casually, you know, ask her on a date saying, guess what? I cleared the calendar tonight. There's nothing going on. I'm going to take you wherever you want to go. Let's go on a date. And I thought to myself, this guy's figured something out. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I've been productive, but if I ever can learn how to build a business where the team is these high functioning, enthusiastic individuals, a lot of Michael Hyatt and company, I don't know if you know this, it's people that used to own their own business. Yeah. You know, Chad, that's Chad, myself, Neil, Deidre. I mean, a lot of folks. And how do you attract people like that? How do you motivate people like that? And yet scale the business, do what you love to do. And meanwhile, you have plenty of margin to sustain romance in a marriage four decades in. You can still be friends with your adult children. I thought to myself, man, I... <laughs> I want to be around that. If I ever get the chance to be around that, I'm in. So anyway, fast forward, I don't know how many months, but I, I was getting breakfast with Chad and we were talking about this full focus planner and we were just excited about it. And I thought, you know what would be really fun? Have you guys ever thought about taking this to teams, making this a corporate tool? He said, we have, we just don't have anyone who can speak, who could teach, who could deliver this, conceive of this and sell this. And even though I told him I didn't think I'd ever want to work with another company again after going off on my own, I was like, man, that sounds exciting. And I, I'm all in on the mission here. So that's how it began. So that's a long story long, but uh, that's, that's how I got connected here. Yeah, this, I mean, that may have been the length of one of your entire episodes. That's pretty good, Blake. I'm glad you've... Uh... Yeah, I think we're all set. So thanks for having me on, Ted. <laughs> yeah, perfect. That's great. Um, you know, it's... That and I'll tell you my first true like personal experience with Michael. This is and ladies and gentlemen, this is not going to become a worship Michael moment, but I, I just <laughs> I think this is important to say this because just like Blake said, he, he truly is exactly what you get, and he's personally involved with almost every single person he comes in contact with. I my sister lives like uh, on the 700 block of West Main in Franklin, and so 
on Sunday before the conference, we had a Monday start. I had come into town on Saturday um, and spent the night, had some friends, uh, had dinner with some friends that live over in Brentwood. And then um, on Sunday, I was going to go hang out with my sister. That just so, hap so happened to be the same weekend as Pilgrim Fest. And <laughs> if you live in Franklin and Pilgrim Fest is happening places, it's kind of busy. It's, it's like having Lollapalooza show up in Tifton, Georgia, my little dinky hometown. <laughs> so it's a huge, huge music fest. And my sister and brother-in-law have gotten to know quite a few people in the music industry just by proximity. They just sort of have, they've fallen into their laps and they were invited to go to Pilgrim Fest. So I wasn't going to get to hang out with her as long as I wanted to, but I, I took what I could get and I'm sitting on her front porch at about 11 o'clock. We're chatting. She's going to meet Eddie back at the Pilgrim Fest because he's already out there. And so I said, okay, so I'm going to walk around town. I go to eat lunch at this place called the Mercantile, I believe is what it's called, and had lunch. Mm -hmm. And then I'm walking around looking for something sweet to eat. And I looked at this one place that wasn't good. Looked at another place that didn't really like that. And I walked into this ice cream shop and I'm, I'm standing at the counter, actually looking at their sweets, the chocolate stuff. And I said, nah, maybe I'll have some ice cream. So I walked down to the end of the ice cream and there's this gentleman and uh, a lady and this younger child there. And all of a sudden the man speaks and I go, oh my gosh, Michael, I'm Ted McElroy. I'm going to be in your conference tomorrow. And he turns around and says, wow, I just, you know, I said, I just recognize your voice and uh, realized it was you. And uh, I'm just, I can't tell you how excited I am. He says, I am really excited about his, he was asking me what I do, all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Next thing I know, Gail's peppering me with all sorts of questions too. I mean, it's it literally is. They were truly involved. And the next day, you know, after this little brief encounter um, in front of the entire crowd, he said, oh, by the way, I ran into uh, one of our BAC people yesterday, uh, Ted McElroy right here. I mean, I'm shocked he remembered who even I was, you know. So he truly does get involved. And that's, a, I think, a really good lesson that you said there, Blake, was – Becoming involved with people, regardless of what status of life they have, especially with your team, uh, that's the thing that I fall short on more than anything else I can think of is not just giving them a common courtesy of hello sometimes. You know, you just get so busy, you get tied up into whatever your life is, and you don't take that moment just to say, I see you there. I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. If, if God had not dropped you in my lap, I don't know what I would have, you know, without it. And I think that's the kind of thing that Michael does extremely well. And uh, thank you for calling that out because mm -hmm. uh, that was you basically doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome. One of the biggest lessons that I think we all get through when we're going through business accelerator or any of these kind of programs, and this isn't again, a business accelerator advertisement either. I really think your coaching is important regardless of who you get it from. But I think almost every coaching program has the same kind of story of if it's worth doing right, I should do it myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that Michael has learned how to do really well is he has learned that it's not as important that I do it all. As a matter of fact, even if it doesn't get perfectly well done, 80% done by somebody else is better than 100% done by me. And um, I think that's where a lot of us tend to fall into a challenge is that we're so busy doing so many things and identifying what those so many things are that it just becomes a challenge. So how does somebody get out of that trap? Yeah, I think you have to come to terms with what you really want. 
that's probably the first thing before we get into any tool or strategy or tactic. It's important to recognize what you want, right? I mean, for you, Ted, I'm curious. When you joined Business Accelerator, what was the primary motivation? It was kind of twofold. Uh, and oh, by the way, everybody, uh, just to let y'all know, every time I do one of these podcasts, it's basically like $10,000 of free consulting that I get. So this is all <laughs> about me right now. This is not really about the audience. But um, it was really about um, two things. First of all, finding some margin in my life. Very similar to what you talked about. My wife um, is, a, is an educator. She also is a coach uh, for swim. And in there in the winter, her time is really tight too. We're both getting home at about six o'clock if I'm lucky. And that's where the problem became. It was, if I'm lucky, I'm coming home at six o'clock. A lot of times it was more like seven, sometimes seven 30, mm -hmm. you know, and I get that, you know, same situation you had, you know, where she's kind of feeling like she's alone in this kind of thing. And it really became a lot more like that when my children left and went to college because now we're empty nesters and, you know, that's become a challenge. The second part was, I had deemed 2019 as being my year of growth. And I went through a vetting process of looking at what kind of, which one of these programs was going to fit best into what I needed out of it. And the business accelerator program worked out to be the best thing for me. Uh, not just because of what they delivered. Um, I, I probably could have gotten this same, I wouldn't say exactly the same process, but I would have gotten just as much enrichment if I'd have gone with, say Dave Ramsey's uh, entre leadership or something like that. But what I got out of it was the timing. So I know that was part of God had put that in the right place for me to be there at the right time. Um, but also just the, the conversation that I had with Chad and realizing how it did fit really in what I needed. And then there was this other little trinket that had nothing to do with it at all. But Becca Turner, Chad's um, executive assistant, happened to grow up two blocks away from the house that we were living in before we moved in the house we're in now here in Tifton. So, mm -hmm. and I had no idea actually that was even a connection until I got an email back from Becca saying, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that, you know, I got, I saw an email from Tifton, Georgia. So that kind of sealed the deal, I guess, but <laughs> you know, but I mean, she's yeah. a great kid. Yeah. I think that you hit on something, which is, you recognize you needed more margin, but you were also desiring growth. And I think a lot of business owners or optometrists, people with a practice, they want to see the revenue go up, right? Or they want to see the amount of people they can serve increase. They want to see growth. That's a healthy, natural thing to want. But they're building in such a way where they've really reached their capacity. And they also want more capacity. Maybe it's for their relationships, like in your case and in my case. Maybe it's for their own health and well-being. Or maybe it's because, man, I'm working so hard. I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor. I want to be able to unplug and for things to not fall apart. I mean, I talk to people every day that they haven't. I ask them when they took their last vacation and they say, oh, well, you know, we took a week in July. And I said, oh, awesome. So what was it like to not have your laptop or your phone around? And they say, oh, I haven't done that in 10 years. <laughs> right. Right. And I think of one of our clients, her name's Amy, and she came to us and it was, she was just exhausted. I mean, she is someone who 
like she's not an optometrist, but she is in uh, kind of healthcare business as a counselor and really was running on fumes because she makes money when she's in the chair. Mm -hmm. And so there's only so many hours in the day, right? But then there's all the other things that go along with running the business. So she didn't really have a business as much as she had a really demanding job. And she was uh, experiencing a lot of negative effects with, with all the things we mentioned, health-wise, uh, you know, having to take certain medications and that sort of stuff. These are things that she's shared openly before, so I'm not disclosing anything she wouldn't tell you herself, but it was affecting her life in a lot of different ways. She's like, I'm working so hard. I love helping people, but I'm just exhausted and run down. How do I have the impact that I feel called to have? It's almost like, do I, am I cursed for having this vision for something big when I clearly don't have the capacity for it? And it's a really painful place to be in. And fast forward a couple of years, she has increased her revenue 300% and is working rather than hours and hours and hours. She's actually only going into her office three days a week now. And she has enough free time. She's actually become one of our one-on-one -on -one coaches who's just helping people get transformation that she's had. You know, she's off so many of those medications that helped her sleep. And because those problems went away, she actually had the margin and the stress relief that she had been really needing. So if you can tap into why, you know, what you want and why you want it, I think that's the starting place, Ted, uh, because that gives you the clarity to know, okay, so then what do I need? If, I, if I'm looking for margin and I'm looking for growth at the same time, how can I change the rules of the game so that it's not an either or, it's, it's a both and. It's how can I do that? together. So those are the tools that we, or I shouldn't say it this way, we provide tools to help people do that. And, you know, to your question, there's one in particular that I was excited to talk to your, your audience about, because I think it's such a helpful lens through which to look at this concept of how do I achieve more, but gain freedom simultaneously. Right. And, you know, part of the, I think that that happens, it doesn't happen by accident. You've got to be very deliberate in how this is doing and intentional with it. Um, I think one of the traps we also fall into is looking at our strengths and weaknesses. And the first thing we think is, oh, if I'm going to get better, I've got to make my weaknesses better. Mm. When actually what we tend to find that really works well is to spend more time working in our strengths area and finding someone to fulfill those weaknesses that we have instead of working on those weaknesses. I'm not saying we don't want to, you know, ignore our weakness. We don't want to do that. But what I am saying is, you know, if I do this particular, I mean, I'm pretty good at organizational stuff. Not that you could look at my desk and tell that, but as far as putting processes and systems together, I'm really good at that. I'm, I'm good mm -hmm. at doing those kind of things. But if I'm constantly in an, in a dark room, with one other individual asking them, which is better one and two, it's always two, by the way, just a hint there. Um, but if I'm asking that question constantly and doing those kind of things and talking about their eye diseases, when am I going to have time to help make my business better? So mm -hmm. I've got to find a way to do those kind of things. And also a lot of the stuff that I don't really have time to do, like monitoring my calendar. I know it sounds crazy, but my calendar is pretty full. Uh, or looking at my email. I mean, I'm sure everybody has a problem for their email. So 
Um, the development of, of executive assistants have helped out a lot of that and offboarding that one. But the challenge that I have, and this is kind of the tool I think you were leading in toward, is this thing you guys have called the uh, Freedom Compass. And I think that's where making sure that those strengths and weaknesses line up the best. And the challenge that I have is trying to figure out exactly what I should be putting in my what's called the desire zone, the things that only I can do and taking the other pieces and putting those in the other pieces of the pie in that freedom compass to make it where my life is so much easier. And it's, I mean, I've had this tool in my hand for nine months and I'm still struggling with it a little bit, to be honest. That's, that's kind of a challenge for me. Okay. Well, let's get into that then. Uh, okay. But first, maybe for your audience, let's provide some context. So you mentioned, uh, you know, this idea of, Hey, I could get something hundred percent done, but maybe if someone else can get 80% done, that's better. And I think the concept that you're really talking about is just leverage. How do we find leverage points? Because if we're going to grow our practice, if we're going to grow our business, if we're going to achieve more at work, but do so with less time or do so with less activity so that we have more margin, ultimately it's not about how do we get more things done? It has to be a very selective process of how can I do the right things that will create the most leverage? So if I were to do those things, everything else becomes easier. Everything else becomes cheaper. Everything else becomes faster or maybe outright unnecessary. So you, your audience has probably heard of the 80-20 rule. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that principle, the Pareto principle, maybe you've heard of where it's just, you know, Pareto is this economist who's just identified that, hey, 20% of the effort drives 80% of the results. Basically, anywhere you look, it's not, you know, even in your line of work, 20% of, uh, you know, the probably the procedures that you do probably drive 80% of the income that you make, for instance, or 20% of your activities are driving 80% of what moves things forward. And 20% and so, of our teams are doing 80% of the work. It seems like a lot of times too. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this principle of the, the 80, 20 is, is at hand everywhere. The question that you've got to answer is what is the 20% for me? What is my 20% that will drive 80% of the results? And so to me, I, I think of this in, two ways to, to identify that one is it's got to be things that are producing results, right? It has to be things that are producing revenue. So what are the things that you're doing that are really producing for your business, for your practice? For, for most people, like, and I don't care if you're listening to this, you own a practice or if you are an employee, I'm an employee, I'm, I'm paid to do certain things. And the reason I'm paid what I'm paid is because I'm good at doing those things. So what are you being paid for is a way to think about that. Or, or what are those things that I think you've phrased it this way that only I can do, meaning there's a reason I'm getting paid what I'm paid. It's because I can produce these things. So what are the things that drive results is the first question. I, we would use a term called proficiency for this because it's those are typically the things that you're really good at. And when you do them, revenue goes up. Am I explaining this well so far, Ted? Very does that well. make sense? Yes, it does. All right. So this the second component is if you want to create momentum, create leverage, 
you better be doing tasks that you can do with speed and with consistency, with speed and with consistency, right? Because there are some things you could do that maybe produce revenue, but gosh, it takes forever. It's draining and it's inconsistent, like your ability to deliver on that. And one of the biggest factors for speed and consistency is actually enjoyment or the word we would use is passion. So have you noticed you tend to do things more consistently that you actually enjoy doing? Yeah. Funny how right? that like you, like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's hard to stay consistent at the stuff we hate doing. It's easy to stay consistent. I mean, we'll stay consistent at things that we shouldn't even be doing just because we like it so much. So when the t hours can fly by, when you're in the zone, that's, you can get those things done fast. You can do those things reliably without burnout. So what we want is to figure out them. And in, in if you're driving in a car, I don't recommend this, but if you are listening passively and you can make a quick drawing, what we have designed is simply a, a two by two. It's a very simple diagram of a circle with you know, an X in the middle. And those X, you know, in that axis, it's passion and proficiency. That's what we're really measuring here. So what we need to find is where do those results producing activities intersect with the passion? Because if we can find those activities that really produce results, we're really good at doing them. And also we could do those things with speed and consistency, you know, those things, because we're passionate about those things, wouldn't it be smart to identify those and spend as much time there as possible? That's the premise of the freedom compass. And that's, you know, I mentioned Amy earlier, that was one of the biggest factors for her is coming to terms with, well, what is in my desire zone and how can I spend more time there? You know, we would recommend, uh, if you're leading the business, 80% or more of your time should be spent in your desire zone. Right. You know, and because again, that's the part where we're going to give the most result back to that business. Um, otherwise mm -hmm. you're spinning your wheels, doing a lot of things you don't need to be doing. Um, you know, now a good example, um, you know, it, it gets kind of busy in our office from time to time, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm walking through the office and the phones are ringing and it's gotten to the fourth ring and no one's picked it up. Well, it's okay for me to reach over and grab the phone and just pitch in a little bit there, you know, say, uh, thank you for calling vision sources is Ted, Mac Ted, Dr. McElroy. How can I help you? And, you know, just taking that moment to, to deal with that. But that's not something I should be doing all day long. Because if I did that all day long, what I really do to generate the most amount of profit for my practice is sitting in the room and having that conversation with my guests and saying to them, well, this is your eye problem and this is what needs to be fixed. And here's my solution for you. Because if I'm not offering them solutions to their problems, then how am I going to possibly generate any revenue to take care of the people I've got to take care of, including me and my family? Exactly. And I would argue, Ted, if that happens more than once, that's a, that's a problem. Right. Or I should, or maybe another way to say it, I think of problems is opportunities. Problems are a good thing to have if you're a growing business, because if you don't have any problems, it's just because you're not growing. So in that instance of like, oh, I'm picking up the phone, you know, I'm helping out. I think sometimes leaders can have that attitude of like, oh, I'm, I'm willing to do anything. You know, I'm, 
I'll sweep the floors if I have to. And if that makes you sleep better at night, then more power to you, but it won't help you create more margin in your life and it won't really help you serve more people or generate more value. And if you're finding yourself like Ted, you know, oh, I, I had to pick up the phone today. I have to pick up the phone tomorrow. That's an opportunity, right? Because it's an opportunity to go, oh, okay, um, there's a system error here. You know, like that message should be going across here. What, what is missing that is making this happen? Um, yeah, so Ted, let's get real. What, you know, you can use yourself as an example, or maybe if you've had conversations, but you mentioned earlier, I'm just curious. You know, this has kind of been a hard thing for me to implement. I'd love for you to share more about that because I think that the more actual we can make this, it's probably the, the more valuable for people listening. I think the part of it that probably is challenging for me is identifying exactly what those things are. And there's the, the other challenge that happens too is, and perhaps you've had clients that have dealt with before, there's stuff that they truly just generate a lot of production for their company. But yet, it's getting to be the kind of thing that every time they touch it, it burns their skin. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not quite in the drudgery part of the, of the compass yet, mm -hmm. but it's getting close. You know, it's, it's falling to the bottom of that desire zone area. And what you have to find is someone to fill that for you. Uh, going back to what you talked about earlier, it, I think there's another part it's, it's okay to be willing to answer the phone. It's not okay to do it all day long. Um, I think that's, our team want to know that we're, we're not above doing that, but they also realize that if we're not spending our time in that part that's really driving the revenue, they're going to suffer too. Um, those that are truly aware of this kind of thing. So uh, for me, it has been truly identifying what those pieces are um, and maybe it's because I'm in this transitional stage with my business right now. I'm trying to spend significantly more time working on my business than I am in my business right now. And I, because I know that the more I spend in that on the business versus in the business will actually end up driving even more revenue than what I have by just doing eye examinations. Um, you know, if, if I can teach someone the process of what I'm doing in my exam room, in my exam room, then I can spend more time managing or, or actually leading that group into ways that they can become more profitable. They'll have better ideas that they'll bring into it too. So, I mean, I'm probably a lot closer than I think I am, but I feel like I'm really far off, you know, from getting to my- Well, you said something that's interesting, which is I'm maybe struggling to identify what's in my desire zone. So let's start there. For those listening, the desire zone, as we said, is that intersection of passion and proficiency. Stuff that you love to do, gives you energy, gives you life, time flies by. Man, I could do this every day. I can't believe they pay me to do this. And proficiency is the, the, the areas that drive the business forward, that you're, really, you're highly skilled at doing those things. There are other zones, naturally. If you drew that X in the middle of the circle there, there's obviously these three other zones. The opposite, I'll, I'll cover these briefly for your listeners, Ted. I know you know them, but to identify what's in your desire zone, sometimes it's helpful to understand what's not in your desire zone. So if you want to do this at home, 
that what you start with is just a list of tasks. Look back at your calendar, at the meetings you had, look at your task managers, at the things that you did, your appointment calendar, if you're an optometrist, what, what were you doing in those appointments, so on and so forth, and identify categories around those tasks. And then, you know, look at this X in the circle between passion and proficiency and decide, okay, am I passionate about this? Am I proficient at this? The answer is yes to both. It's in your desire zone. If you're passionate, but you really have no proficiency, like, ooh, I love updating my website because I, I think it's cool to have a cool website for my business, but you never get any clients through your website and it takes you forever because you're not a web designer. You may be passionate, but that's called a distraction. We call that the distraction zone. Uh, maybe you have proficiency, but no passion. I think you were alluding to that, Ted, where I'm doing something that, yeah, this is going to help us make money, but boy, I'd rather be doing something else. That is a disinterest, an area of disinterest. We call that the disinterest zone. And then if the answer is no, I don't have passion and I'm not proficient at this, that's a drudgery zone thing. That is a, those tasks you're doing where you're just like, how is this my life? I can't wait that, for this to be over <laughs> type things. I mean, you mentioned managing your calendar. I mean, maybe that's it for some people or email. Uh, but there's the, there are those tasks in there. So going back to your question, Ted, what do you think is in your desires? And what do you feel like, where, where do you feel like is the point of tension or for the struggle to identify that? I guess it's just probably fear more than anything else, you know, because I do know that I can drive a lot of revenue for our practice sitting in the exam room. I also know I can teach someone to do that the amount of time that I spend in my exam room, I don't have time to develop my team. And that's really where I feel like the biggest return on my investment will be in the long run is, is developing my team, spending time with leaders in that team that they can also turn in turn, teach others to do these kind of things. Um, it, it's taken me a long time to get to, to trust people that they can do, so many more things, probably a lot better than I can, because I'd always been taught, you know, that again, that same thing I said at the beginning, if it's worth doing right, it's worth doing myself. And our profession has come from a place where we literally did everything. There was someone that sat at the front desk and said hello when people came through the door. And that was the only thing that they did, whereas that eye doctor did all of it to now we have slowly added more and more things to other people to make us more productive so we can spend more time doing the things. But when it comes down to it, a lot of us got into our profession because optometry is kind of a technician type kind of job. We're good technicians. The problem was some of us started realizing we're, we're a good technician, but we're also really good at strategy. And we're also really good at team building and, and giving people worth and, I think that's where my passion truly is, is spending more time coaching my team to become better. And yet I've got to do that. I've got to carve out that time, which means there's one day that I'm not going to be doing guest care, or maybe it's two, or maybe it's four, or maybe it's none of them. And now suddenly, okay, you know, filling up those holes starts to become a challenge, especially in a, market like it is right now, um, or in a place that I live in. Tifton, Georgia is not exactly the center of the universe. It's, well, it's, it is to me, 
but mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a great place to live and it's wonderful, but it's hard to attract people a lot of times to come to small towns and to spend three years to find another doctor, which I, I there's a lot of my audience right now that are nodding their head because they're going through this exact same thing uh-huh. is a struggle. And so there's that pain point of trying to fill that hole and at the same time grow this thing that you truly want to do. So I, I decided many years ago, once I had, I think my third associate to leave, I was never going to stop looking for associates. I was just going to continue to keep looking for them regardless of what all was happening. And right now I've got a fantastic associate that will become a partner of mine, hopefully by June. And um, I've got a son in optometry school, but I probably could put somebody else to work in that place because who knows if my son's going to come home. Um, who knows if, you know, somebody else is going to come along and I can't not have those opportunities, but at the same time, I really want to get into coaching my team. I really want to develop the processes and the programs that we're doing in our practices that are going to make us better. And that's one of the reasons also why this business accelerator program worked out so well, because there are so many people, as you know, that are in this exact same situation that I'm in. That's why this is attractive to us all. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question at all or not, but that was a good ramble. Well, I think we had a breakthrough because I don't think you're struggling to figure out what's in your desire zone. I think you're struggling to own it because you're afraid you can't do it. Yeah, that's probably right. I mean, is it? I mean, it sounds like you know what's in your desire zone. Yeah. It sounds like you know, well, if I'm talking about what's going to make me money this week, it's sitting in the chair. If I'm talking about what's going to 3x my business in terms of revenue, it's going to be development. Right. And, you know, that's where we're digging into another thing that our audience learned about previously called the limiting belief. Um, which is, you know, the thing that I think I can't do uh, is limiting me from getting to my true potential because I'm standing in my way or I'm letting someone else stand in my way of something that is possible. So the question then becomes is what has to be true for this to be possible? Um, mm. You know, and so the things now are digging through that. What's, what's got to be true? Well, I've got to have another doctor in the practice to, to take up some of this load, or I've got to figure out some way to become more efficient with my time in the exam room, but at the same time, not letting that guest have a level of care that they're used to. So maybe that means bringing in some sort of technician to do more of my job that I'm currently doing. I mean, even if it's nothing right now, we're trying to build out some scribes in our practice where they're actually putting all the notes into the chart. So I don't have to do that. I can spend more time face to face with you, Blake, if you're sitting in the chair, doing the exam, making my recommendations and walking out the door in 10 to 15 minutes versus 15 to 20 minutes. And if I do that enough, suddenly there's a day that's just become open to me. Um, Mm. So that's part of that. Well, it also comes down to what we, you know, the first question I asked was, what do you really want? Because if our vision isn't really much bigger than our obstacles, it will take us years. In fact, we may never overcome the obstacles. So if the vision is, you know, I'm getting home at six or seven, I'd really like to go home at 530. It actually might take you a long time to do that because it's really not that big of a vision and it's not that clear. 
But for you, and I would say this is true for your listeners too, you really want to consider, well, what is my vision? You know, just because we talk about scale and it's kind of sexy to talk about, oh, you could build this big business. Maybe you don't want that. You know, right. maybe you just want, I talked to someone yesterday. She's like, I just keep hearing all about scale. And she's in photography and trying to get her business off the ground. And I'm like, it's okay to want a job. There's no shame in just wanting to have a job. And if what you want to do is, you know what? I like sitting in the chair. I like being a technician. I want to be a technician. That's great. You can still actually grow your business that way. It's important for you to be honest with yourself. You don't have to be Michael Hyatt to scale or grow a business. Um, but I think that it's important to, to, to clarify the vision and for that vision ultimately to be significantly bigger. You know, the bigger your vision is, the more your obstacles in the way will be dwarfed. You know, I, I think when you were saying that about Tifton, I was thinking about this pastor from Weaverville, California, and I went to his school. He ended up moving to Redding, California. And when I arrived in Redding, there was no one there. This is three and a half hours north of San Francisco. It's known for, uh, it's known for kind of being a California hillbilly town with drug addicts, to be quite honest. Right. Um, and there were thousands of people from all over the world in Redding, California to go to this church and to be a part of this spiritual development school. Uh, and the reason was because this pastor, his name's Bill Johnson, has a massive vision, a massive vision. And people bought into that vision and they had the same vision in their heart and they came unto him to say, hey, come and teach me. So now Redding is this, you've got this sector, but there's literally thousands of people from all over the world who have given up jobs just to be there and I think that that is what you're talking about when it comes to limiting beliefs is, well, how big is my vision? What is my vision? Why is that important to me? That will help you break through a limiting belief of, well, what is really possible with my business? How could I actually spend more time in my desire zone? It's easier to think creatively when we are more obsessed with our vision and our potential than we are afraid of the obstacles staying in the way. Yeah. That's great. That is, I mean, you know, that's the kind of thing that I need to be told on a regular basis. And uh, part of it is maybe looking back at my vision again and deciding, is that vision still the same as it was a year ago or two years ago? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so thank you. I appreciate that. So, so is, is there anything that you think that our audience needs to know um, as we sort of come to close here, what's, what, what's, how would we wrap this kind of thing up for us, Blake? Yeah. So, you know, to kind of tie a bow on this idea of a freedom compass, maybe, you know, we're talking about this and you're like, gosh, like I'm, I'm doing so many things that aren't in my freedom compass. Well, maybe close with three strategies for if, if there are things in your drudgery zone, disinterest zone or distraction zone, like just to, to start on this path, we've, we've kind of got gone deep and that's what I like to do. I like to get into the roots of why people might be struggling. Uh, but on the practical side, uh, the three things that I would recommend are, you know, one is delegate as Ted's kind of harped on, Oh, how do I, how can I hand this off to someone else? And maybe you feel like, well, that would take too long or it'd be too expensive. But 
it's simple economics. Figure out your hourly rate. Whatever you pay yourself, figure out that hourly rate. And then tell me what you're paying to have someone check your email. Because if it's more than 15 bucks an hour, you're probably overpaying for it. There's actually a lot of capacity to delegate either in your office, virtually. There's a lot of possibilities there. So delegation. And you probably want to delegate things in that disinterest zone uh, is what you be, or, or maybe your drudgery zone. But before you get to delegation, I would even consider these other two strategies. One is elimination. I mean, this is a big one where people just realize, well, I've got to do this because what? And ask yourself, does that really move the needle in my business? If I eliminated it, how much would I really lose? And how much would I gain back in time? Again, considering your hourly rate, do you even need to be doing that task anymore? Does anyone need to be doing it? And the third strategy is automation. Automation. So this is where software tools, uh, even physical tools uh, can come into play of how could I automate this? Ted, you mentioned, how can I make the time I'm with someone a little bit shorter? Um, there are little automations that you can do. You know, for me, it's, I'm in, I have to do some email communication, but I tend to respond to questions about a few different things and I've got templates for all of them. So it may take me 10 minutes to respond to an email if I don't have a template. With a template, I can automate that process a little bit and respond to it instantly. Or I can actually build a process, like this month my calendar is full with appointments and I didn't book any of them. They went through a process and they scheduled time with me. Um, it saved us all a ton of time and, and money. Um, so that would be my kind of a, a closing thought of to give people some ideas of if you're looking at your task list, ask, okay, if this isn't in my desire zone, could I possibly eliminate it? Could I automate it? Or could I delegate it? And, and really consider what's the cost of not delegating this? What am I really, because we think we're saving money by not passing it off or we're saving time, but it's so short-sighted and, and usually not true at all. Um, Ted, have you had any luck with it, those strategies? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, there was, I'm trying to remember the guy who first talked about it, the first time I'd ever heard about it. He talked that it was the, I think the book was called Procrastinate on Purpose. And uh, he had a uh, procrastination funnel uh, where all this yeah. kind of felt in play. I mean, it's a terrible name for it, I thought, you know, but as he <laughs> talked about really the eliminate, uh, automate, delegate, and then if it fell to the bottom, you got one choice, either you do it or you get rid of it and put it back at the top again and let it fall through the funnel one more time. And, hmm. um, you know, that's kind of, I think the, the thing that really struck me is, wow, it's, this makes a lot of sense, uh, you know, to think about it. And um, I shouldn't be doing all these kind of things. And um, because of the things that I've learned both with you and uh, with your company and other things, it's, it has made my life more fulfilled and more enriched. I just know I got a lot of long way to grow still, you know, and, and uh, I got it hopefully at least 50 more years of growth to go. Uh, so yeah. it'll be nice if I can pull that off. Uh, I'd like to make it to 103. That would be nice. Um, so if somebody wants to get in touch with you, Blake, uh, to find out more about what you do, um, and uh, one thing I will say is definitely start listening to your podcast, Focus on This, which comes out every Monday morning. 
Uh, and it has a lot of these same kind of strategies that you'll be able to learn. And just like um, my podcast and Chris's podcast here, it's, it's worth every penny you pay for it, which is free. Um, so, you know, you can utilize it or not. It, you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. But what are, some, what are the other ways that they need to uh, get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you? Sure. Um, well, any of your listeners, feel free to email me if you want. My email is blake at michaelhyatt.com. Pretty straightforward. Um, if you're uh, a robot or a scam artist, uh, my email is chad at michaelhyatt.com. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but no, if they want to learn more about this idea of scale, we actually have um, some free training. If you go to businessaccelerator.com, there's a, a, webinar on, a webinar on there that you can actually watch for free and get some more training on these concepts of what does it look like to scale, especially nowadays. You know, this is, this is interesting territory we're in as a nation. And I don't know what it's like with, with your listeners and their, you know, local economies and so forth. But with that in mind, how can you actually apply these principles, you know, to be in your desire zone, but, but really it's, it's even bigger than that, right? To, to scale in a healthy, sustainable way. So I would encourage people to check that out, businessaccelerator.com. Uh, you can watch a free webinar. There's also uh, a link. Uh, we have a, a health assessment that you can find there as well. We can actually assess your own business. So some great resources there. And I'll make sure we get a link of that in the notes at the end of the episode. And uh, I really can't thank you enough for spending some time with me today. And uh, I'm sure that if they even take a moment that we've talked about and put it into place, it'll make their, their lives much better. Thank you, Blake. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Ted. Thanks for having me. And you guys sound like y'all are having a fun time too. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, it, you got to. Like, it's all a show. It's all a show. We, we really dislike each other and it's just such a drag. Uh, I just pretend. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. I can really tell. Yeah. <laughs>